When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. Our family police calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 163. Go to 40th place in Figueroa, invested a bank robbery. That's all. Rose times in these broadcasts that Rio Grande Crack Gasoline is by long odds the favorite motor fuel of the law enforcement and public protective agencies of our local government. But have you ever stopped to think what this really means? Well, here are the figures for 1936. 3,724,318 gallons of Rio Grande Crack Gasoline were used in police cars, fire engines, ambulances, and other emergency equipment. At 15 miles to the gallon, this tremendous quantity would drive your car more than 55 million miles around the world, 2,327 times. If you started now and drove 50 miles an hour, 24 hours a day for 127 and a half years, in other words, until the 4th of July in the year 2064, you would still have 19,000 miles to go. Don't you feel the judgment of the men who show such an overwhelming preference for Rio Grande gasoline is to be respected? Isolated cases might be challenged, but there must be an advantage for you in following the lead of so many. Oakland, Berkeley, Fresno, Santa Barbara, Los Angeles, San Diego, Phoenix, Tucson, Orange County, San Diego County, Maricopa County, and others. This list you will observe includes two of the three largest cities in California and the largest county in Arizona, the law enforcement offices of which protect the lives and property of one-third of the people in Arizona. Each of the governmental agencies in this impressive list has specified Rio Grande crash gathering exclusively month after month. Why don't you do that this year? Hundreds of thousands of other motorists have found it very much to their advantage. Starting tomorrow to your Rio Grande independent dealer. Once again, we present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. 
Good evening, friend. Tonight, I am not going to follow my usual custom of talking about the crime to follow on calling all cars. Instead, I should like to say a few words about a situation that has become a crisis here in Los Angeles. The problem of traffic fatality. As 1937 ushered itself in to the accompaniment of joyful celebration, it left an old year behind it that has rolled up the staggering traffic death figure of 1,040 persons. In 12 short months, 1,040 people, just like you and me, lost their lives on the highway, three-quarters of them because of the carelessness on someone's part. A new year has started, and already the dead have started piling up. That is why I say it is a crisis, a crisis that cannot be allowed to go on unchecked. So tonight, take it over, and then drive accordingly. If you, as citizens, will help by driving carefully and thoughtfully, perhaps when 1937 rolls into 1938, you will have been instrumental in letting some person alive today live another year. Who knows? That person might be you. Los Angeles. April 15th, 1929, 2.30 o'clock. Behind the iron grill marked Keller in the Citizens National Bank of Poirier's place in Figueroa, a young man glances at the wall clock, then back to the figure of a woman approaching his window. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I wonder if you'd do me a favor and read this telegram for me. Telegram? Well, yes, that's a chance to. Thanks. Oh, but this isn't a telegram. Can you read it fast? Keep still. Mm-hmm. Oh, but there isn't $5,000 in here. Listen, little man. You know what's good for you? Somebody to build a cross under this bag and make it fast and quiet. All right. I will. Here you are. This is all I've got. Now, listen. You ought to not know about being covered by three bins. If you make a cross on about this for 20 minutes after I walk out of here, it'll be the last thing you ever say. Understand? Yes, sir. I understand. Don't forget it. Okay. Uncertain, I suggest what to do. The young color stands in the for five long minutes. The woman's warning words ringing in his ears. Don't tell anyone for 20 minutes or else. Then, by a supreme effort, he takes off the fear that binds him and hurries to the chief teller's office where he tells his story. And when he has finished, a stony silence is his only answer. Then, do you expect me to believe that? Expect you to believe it? Of course, it's what happened. A woman walked in and asked you for all the money, and you just handed it over and then stood there for five minutes before telling anybody. Well, she told me I'd be killed if I moved to 20 minutes. I didn't want that to happen. Oh, no, of course not. And you didn't want anybody to find out about it until your confederate had plenty of time to get away, did you? What are you talking just about? that. Thought you could get away with this little scheme. You thought everybody would believe your story about a holdup. Well, it won't work. But it's what happened. I don't believe one word of it. And I don't think the manager will do that. However, we'll just go up to his office and see. Come along, Mr. Brown. And strangely enough, the manager of the bank refuses to believe the story either. With the result, the young fellow, after an hour of futile explaining, is discharged. The police, however, after questioning him, failed to find any good reason to arrest him, 
and the incident gradually blows over. Five months go by, during which the now bitter teller buys a small ranch, settles down to a rural life as a country farmer. Then, on the morning of September 4th, 1929, into the office of the Los Angeles burglary detail walks a middle-aged, well-dressed man. Obviously embarrassed, he inquires for the person in charge. It's directed to Lieutenant Teddy Chipwood's death. Good morning. Mm-hmm. Are, uh, mm-hmm. are you the uh, gentleman in charge here? Not at the moment, yes. What can I do for you? <laughs> well, uh, there's a matter come up. Well, that is to say, uh, a matter that I uh, don't think really means anything. Mm-hmm. I see. You see, it's the thing that, uh, that is a matter that I, I never bother you about it. It was my wife. She insists that I support it. Well, uh, go right ahead. What's it all about? I'm not taking up your time? No, 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 not at all. Go right ahead. Well, you see, we, that is my wife and I, have a young lady living at our house. She's a very nice young lady. Very nice. And uh, I wouldn't want anything to sound as though I were suspicious of her option, but... Uh, uh, so look here. If it'll help any, whatever you want to tell me will be kept in the strictest confidence. Will that make it easier? Yes, uh, yes, yes, it will. Uh, thank you. You see, this young lady is separated from her husband, and, and she and her baby are sort of living at our house because we felt sorry for her. My wife is a very sympathetic person. You know how that is. Oh, yes, yes, sure. Well, the thing that caused all this was this, this girl's husband. He, he's something of a loafer, works with, a, with an extra at the studios occasionally, but never makes any money. So he's been coming over to see her every once in a while, and, and last night he had a lot of money to do. Uh, I mean, really, a large amount. Well, actually, my wife thought it kind of strange, and as a matter of fact, so did I. But it is in our business, and, well, I was all for letting it go. But you, uh, changed your mind? Yes. Well, that is my wife changed it for me. She feels that uh, you should know about it, and she said that if I wouldn't come down, she would. So, I came down. Yes. Did this man say where he got all this money? Oh, no. <laughs> Naturally, he did not do but I noticed that it was mostly all in $20 bills. That seems rather odd, in it? More 20, eh? Yes, yes, Well, if you leave your name and address and phone number with me, I'll look into it and let you know. Now, uh, what's this girl's husband's name? Um, Martin. Uh, Jim was his first name, I think. Mm-hmm. Jim, uh, yes, yeah, Martin. And you say he works as an extra occasionally? Oh, yes, yes. He's in thanks of here. All right. I'll look into it and let you know. And thanks a lot for coming in. Oh, that, that's quite all right, I... Um, well, good day. Lieutenant Dickwood, although not expecting to find anything, browses through several recent police bulletins, finds two on men wanted for bank robbery. Glances casually through the data on them. Suddenly, he notices one line that bears a significant statement. Red? Yes? Come here a minute, William. What's on your mind? Uh, listen to this. The bills stolen in this robbery consisted mostly of $20 bills. So? I've got a brainstorm. You saw that fellow I was talking to a while back, middle-aged fellow? Yes. And he came in to tell me that a young man whose ex-wife lives at his house flashed a roll of 20s last night. A young man that never has a dime to his name. You figure he might know something about this bank job? I figure we might do well to have a talk with him. Okay, when do we start? Well, I think now would be as good a time as any. We'll take this bulletin with us and see how the description checks. Come on. At the address given to him by his earlier visitor, Dipwood and Long find him and his wife at home. 
From them, the two detectives get a good description of Martin. Also, his friends who work at the studio. Also, a phone number where Martin lives. A check on the number reveals the address to be that of a residence on Hollywood Boulevard. Accordingly, Pitwood and Long drive that in hopes of finding the suddenly rich young man at home. That must be the place to fix that auto rental up. The Prince's Martin doesn't live alone in the barn that time. Probably has a room. Let's pull in the lot and let the place over. Yeah, okay. Here comes the gent that runs the place. Maybe he knows Martin by sight. Maybe I'll ask him. Uh, we're looking for a fellow that lives around here someplace. Thought maybe you might know him. Uh, he used to live in that big house over there. Well, I might know him at that. Four or five young fellows live there. Most of them work at the studios, I think. What is his name? Uh, uh, Jones. Joe Jones. Joe Jones? Joe Jones. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think I know anyone by that name. Uh, so the dog's here, good looking young fellow. Well, there's a couple of them has dogs here. Good looking enough, too, for that matter, but, uh, well, that name doesn't sound familiar. Mm, okay. Well, thanks, anyway. Well, that's all right. You might go over and ask at the house yourself. I guess you could find out from that fast enough. Oh, sure. That'd be the thing to do, all right. Come along, then. Let's drive around. We could walk over there. Yeah, I think you'd better drive over. Okay, if you want to drive over, we will. Well, you must be getting lazy. Mm, sure, I'm lazy, all right. I'm going to let you go. If you are, we drive. contact the man who says he is Jim Martin. Given the message, he sounds at first skeptical, but finally says he'll be over in 15 minutes. Accordingly, Chipwood and Long lose no time driving to the Adams' house, where they park their car and make plans. Long agrees to watch from across the street while Chipwood takes a position next to the house from where he can see, but he's hidden from sight himself. Ten minutes passed. Fifteen minutes, and no sign of the wanted man. Then suddenly a car pulls up across the street. A tall, dark-haired man steps out, starts across, and a straight path for the house. Waiting until he's certain, Chitwood watches. The man crosses the lawn. Almost reaches the porch step. Then, making no noise, he walks up behind him, takes his arm. Hello, Jim. Huh? 
Hey, what the devil is this? You're ready for it, Jim. I, uh, I, I was just looking for an address. And my name's not Jim. Uh, not Jim. Jim Martin? No. I never heard of him. Yeah. What is your name? It's, uh, Smith. Bill Smith. Bill Smith, eh? That's certainly an original name. Bill Smith. Well, that's my name. Okay, Bill. Well, you and I take a ride down to station. I want the boys to get a look at the eighth wonder of the world. The original Bill Smith. But on the way to the station, Fitwood changes his mind and decides to talk to his suspect first. Driving to an isolated section of Hollywood, Long parks the car under a huge tree, turns off the motor. Hey, what's the idea of stopping here? I just have a desire to see what you've got on you before we go any further, that's all. Get out of the car. Hey, now, wait a minute. You've got no right. I said to get out of the car. All right. You'll have to get the tough about it. I don't intend to unless you make me. Right. Take off your coat and hand it to me. What's the big idea anyway? All right, all right. Thank you. Take a thorough look through him, Ed, while I lift this coat over it. Right. Put your hands over your head, Smith. Don't miss anything, Ed. I have a hunch our friend might have a few things of interest on him. Ah, uh, this doesn't make any sense. I don't know what you're looking for, but you won't find anything on me. Oh, no? What's this, then? Uh, I, I don't know. You don't know? Oh, that's funny. Can you imagine a fellow carrying a roll of twenty dollar bills around with him and not knowing it is? Got a nice new stamp on the package, too. Bank of America, huh? Where did that come from? You mean right now or when you stole it from the bank? What do you mean stole it? I don't know, Mr. Bill Smith. For your information, we've got the finger right on you for that bank job. Now what I want to know is, you want to take the rap alone? Or do you want to tell us who your pals are? I didn't have anything to do with any bank job. Oh, yes, that means you want the whole rap yourself. Huh? You can't prove anything on me. Oh, that's what you say. I know different. Come on, Ed. Let's take this lad to his future home. Maybe a few hours there will loosen his tongue. But Martin, although practically as good as convicted on the strength of the evidence found on him, refuses to talk anymore. Later, still denying everything, he's placed in jail. From his wallet, the name Bert Hall is taken on a card with a phone number written below it. Acting on a hunch this might be another of the gang, sit with him long, check the address, then drive out to a place in the lower Hollywood Hills. And when they arrive there, sudden doubt will fail them. Listen, Eddie, something's wrong here. This is a respectable, high-class neighborhood. Look at the houses. Yeah, this place is much too elegant for a cook to hang out. Oh, look over there. A little girl coming out of the house. Oh, yeah. Now, come on, we got the wrong place. Let's go back and check the address again. Okay, it's a sense that this is the wrong place. But back at the station, another check proves the address to be the same as the phone number. And Fitwood and Long decide that high-class neighborhood or no high-class neighborhood, they're going to investigate. So once again, they drive to the house. And this time, they walk to the door, ring the bell. Uh, I'm going to ask the if anything happens, to be ready to push in with me. Yes? Oh, hello. Uh, Bertie? No. Well, we're friends of the agent. Oh, working at the studio? Uh, yes. You say your friend is here? Oh, that's right, aren't we? Yes, sure enough. Do you think you'll be back soon? No, not too late. Probably be 12 or 12 30. Oh, that late, eh? I'm afraid so. You still get any of the money left in the bank pickup? Well, it's... so what are you trying to pull? Oh, there you go. Get your foot out of the door. Oh, no, no, We're coming in. Oh, don't get them out. I'll try to. All right, lady. All right, now just take it easy. Might as well, because we're all going to sit right here and wait for Bert to come home. Okay. 
If that's the way she's going to play, then I'll play the same way. Why, she's the head of the whole outfit. She's the one that pulled the actual stick up. And she's the one that planned them out. And that husband of hers first was right with her all the time. They're the ones that engineered everything. I only have... You know where to get a hold of him? Well, uh, I know he works at the World Picture Studio. If he's not there now, they can get him. Well, that's fine, Martin. In fact, it's better than that. It's perfect. Come on, Ed. We're going to haunt the studio. <laughs> Rushing out to the world picture block, Kitwood and Long look up the casting director, who proves to be an old friend of Kitwood, and explain their mission. At first, the director refuses to believe that a bank robber could be working for him. But finally, he checks the list of bit players and finds the name Bert Hall, Teddy, with a private phone missing up. Under Kitwood's instruction, he calls the number, informs the man who answers to have Hall come to the studio for retakes at once. Then they settle down to wait. And for once, their way was the short one. And an hour after the call, a well-built, dark man walked in, placed his elbows on the counter, and leaned through the little window, marked casting, inquired the first hall was called for retake. Silently, Dick would edge up behind him, reaches around his arms, and snaps a pair of handcuffs on his wrist. Hey, hey what is this? Some sort of a job? Not that you've noticed, sir. You surprised? No, naturally. What's it all about? Oh, you don't look very surprised. In fact, you look as though you've been sort of expecting something like that. Well, I haven't. I don't know what you're trying to pull, but it's no good. All right, Bill, let's stop calling around. We've got your wife. We've got your friend Martin, and they both talk and talk plenty. Now, what do you say about that? What would you say? Well, if I were you, I don't know. I'll say this, though. You're certainly pretty much of a heel. What do you mean, heel? Letting your wife hold up those banks all by herself? I ought to be ashamed of yourself. Listen, Blackfoot. I didn't let her do those jobs alone. I was right there with a gun all the time. I don't believe it. Yeah, well, I can prove it. I was there on every job, and I was right in the bank when she pulled her out. Now, what do you think of that? And I think you've just picked yourself up for good, sake. What do you mean? I thought if I hurt your ego a little, you'd talk. I never saw a punk like you that wouldn't start boasting given a chance. But this time, you've boasted your way right smack into Sam Quinn. Come on, let's join the party. A few days later... A somewhat chagrined Keith Keller once again faces his ex-employee. Prepares to make amends. Young man, it's good to see you again. Thank you, sir. You uh, know, of course, why I uh, sent for you, sir. Yes, sir. I guess so, sir. Naturally, when I saw by the papers that the police had found the uh, criminal to rob the bank, I realized that perhaps he's been in the Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. But, uh, I'll give you for you. I want to offer you your old job, Doc. Well, <laughs> thank you, sir, but, <laughs> you see, I don't want it. You, uh, don't want it? No, sir. You see, if I hadn't been fired, I might never have known what a farm was like, but, well, I was fired, and now, well, sir, I don't ever want to leave my farm. I don't want to work the bank again as long as I live. Thousands of motorists who listen to these calling all cars broadcasts during 1936 switched to Rio Grande to crash gasoline in the hope that they too would be able to see the thrill of police car performance. They were not disappointed, for independent Rio Grande dealers offer to the public exactly the same Rio Grande crash gasoline that powers more police cars fire engines, ambulances, and other emergency equipment wherever it is sold than any other brand. Thousands more will switch to Rio Grande Clark's gasoline during 1937. Will you be one of them? Why not? Don't be satisfied with sluggish, 
slow-burning, sputtering gasoline, Rio Grande Class gasoline costs you no more. And Rio Grande Class gasoline is broken up, cracked into tiny atoms that burn more readily and more completely. This is why you get quicker starting, faster pickup, greater power. Your independent Rio Grande dealer also offers you the best motor oils you can buy. No wax, no petroleum jelly, no impurities in Sinclair, Pennsylvania, and Sinclair opening motor oil. So free-flowing and heat with your feet, you can use the same grade somewhere on your Sinclair eyes for safety. And have you seen the latest copy of Calling All Cars News? Your independent Rio Grande dealer will be glad to give you a copy free. Brighter and easier this year than ever before. Exclusive screen star news, thrilling detective stories, many photographs, and illustrated features. Get your copy tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.